Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Hey, this is David Rosen from the All Points West Network, and over on Awesome Movie Year, the podcast that takes a look at different years in movies and why they were awesome movie years. They're currently finishing up their 2003 season with a look at the Oscars Best Picture winner, one of the biggest of all time, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And because Josh and Jason and myself all watched the entire trilogy to get ready for the episode, we decided to also do a very special episode of my podcast, Piecing It Together, taking a look at the movies that inspired The Lord of the Rings and at the movies that it inspired. So we get to talk about a whole lot of other movies along the way, adventures and quests and all that kind of fun stuff. So check out Awesome Movie Year, check out Piecing It Together, and check out the other podcasts here on the All Points West Network. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, it is a special episode. We're not doing our usual format. Instead, it is the middle of the year and we are taking a look at our top 10 favorite movies of the year so far. It's a little past the midway point, but uh, it's time to kind of take stock of what's come out this year. Very strange year, you know, post-pandemic. Last year was a weird year. This year is a weird year. Maybe next year will be a normal year. I kind of doubt it, but we'll see what happens. But uh, joining me today is Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year, who you've also heard here on Piecing It Together many times in the past. He's a film critic, and uh, we are going to go over our top tens as well as some honorable mentions and talk a little bit about the year as it was. So uh, that's coming up here in a second. Uh, Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget about our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. So we got a nice long conversation coming up here, so let's just get right into it. Let's talk about some of the best movies of 2021. All right, Josh Bell is back with us for that thing we do at the middle of each year, although we're, we're a little late into our middle of the year. But uh, anyway, Josh, how's it going? It's going all right. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Watching lots of movies and uh, ready to talk about some of them. So, yeah, yeah, me too. Lots and lots and lots of movies. Trying to catch up on uh, the most acclaimed or notable movies this year and um, 
kind of disappointed with some, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, we'll have some good ones. This isn't the most disappointing movies of the first half of 2020. Yeah, 2021. What year is this? Well, what year is this? How could you keep track at this point? Yeah. I don't even know where I am or what's going on. Some of them aren't even the uh, the most acclaimed. Sometimes it's just like, well, I've got two hours and here's yet another one that I could watch. So yeah, that's, fit them in. that's true. I definitely did that with some Netflix stuff recently. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Well, we're going to count down our top 10 uh, of the year so far here at the halfway point. Before we do, though, and this is something uh, for everyone listening, this is something Josh and I talked about ahead of time. We made a rule on this because I feel like more every year there's these limited release movies that, you know, don't quite come out in any kind of wide release or any way for most people to see until the following year. Um, But it's especially uh, obvious this year with some of the things that were nominated for the Oscars this past year. And some of those, to include them on our favorites of 2021, just seems weird when they were in consideration for our list last year. And it just seems redundant and strange. And it's a very weird even thing to even try to attack or decide what to do with, but we're going to disqualify anything that was nominated for awards last year. Uh, is there anything that um, would have possibly been in consideration that you ended up cutting out? Yeah. Well, I, I will say that for my list, I stuck with the calendar year last mm. year. So I specifically left anything out in my 2020 list that didn't actually get released okay. uh, commercially in 2020. Not that that made a huge difference. Um, really, the only movie, and this would have been pretty high on my, I mean, it is pretty high on my 2021 list that was nominated and won at the Oscars, which is The Father, sure. which of course was a surprise win for Anthony Hopkins. And for best actor. And I was as much as I think people were pulling for Chadwick Boseman because they loved his performance in Ma Rainey because, Mm -hmm. of course, of his tragic death. And then weirdly, because of the way they structured the Oscar show that was backfired. um, I was happy that Anthony Hopkins won because I thought he gave a better performance, an amazing performance in a really difficult part of uh, the, the, the father, the man who is he's always disoriented and the way that he kind of brings you in. I mean, the, the film is structured that way and the writer director Florian Zeller really immerses the audience in that perspective of the character, but it's Hopkins performance that, that does as much as anything else to make you feel that sense of distress and disorientation and uh, just just being lost sure. and yet always trying to grab on to anything that you can. So I think it's one of the best performances that he's given. Obviously, he's a great actor, although he's one of these great actors that is often either in bad movies or is sort of going over the top with his great acting a yeah. lot of the time. But I thought he did a perfect job in that movie. And overall, it's just incredibly well-constructed. Everything from the performances to the editing to the set design, the way it subtly changes so you never really know where you are. Absolutely. So, yeah, that is on my, uh, is number two on my current list, Mm -hmm. um, released in February 2021. Yes. Just, just, you know. um, Yeah. (laughs) It it drives me a little bit nuts. And of course, you know, this is the first year I've started, you know, getting some screeners at least and stuff like that. And I've been up until last year on the other side of this whole thing where it's like, well, that movie doesn't count for last year. No one could see it, you know, but now I'm kind of arguing the other way around. 
none of it makes any sense and it drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, especially because they essentially extended 2020 an extra two months. And that's the main reason we're having this conversation. Right, right. So even movies that were only, I mean, that was just like a limited release of that 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 came in in February. Yeah. Um, I mean, before then it was just screeners sitting uh, with critics and voters and uh, I think maybe a film festival uh, or two, but yeah, that makes it uh, that makes it very uh, confusing, and it's a separate side issue. I I felt like that extension of the awards period didn't accomplish no what they wanted it to accomplish. The idea that everything would be back to normal by then, right? <laughs> uh, it just made things confusing, and it means that the awards consideration period for 2021 is now only 10 months because mm-hmm. they're going back to the calendar year but not the first part of the calendar year so we'll see what happens next year hopefully they figure something out to make things a little bit uh more straightforward and make I mean, sense you could just go back to the calendar year i felt like that made sense that but... made sense absolutely anyway regardless of any of that the father is great and it's if so you haven't good. seen it you should see it definitely in my top five of of movies that came out this year but that are not on my list right. um <laughs> other movies that i thought about of course last year's best picture winner nomadland which you know was i believe limited release before the end of the year but... yeah there was a release in december yeah, yeah but it didn't come out wide in any way uh, until later into february um, Judas and the Black Messiah, which didn't come out in any way, 2020. yeah, I, and that didn't even play at a film festival right. until January. Yeah, but. so that's a very strange one to me. Uh, and then, lastly, a movie that technically did come out, uh, but in a way where nobody except for people who. I guess thought the pandemic was a hoax could see, and that's the Kid Detective, which we talked about on the show, and you know how much I love that movie. That's a 2021 movie in my heart, but it's not, so I disqualified it. Yeah, I think that one that one came out in like hundreds of theaters yes. in 2020. So yes. uh, definitely that no a- one was going to. <laughs> <laughs> so as you said, some people were going. Yes. you know, and 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 I guess in a weird way, props to that movie for providing. Uh, I think that was stage six, wasn't it? The Sony company. They released a bunch of movies in theaters, like in the thick of the pandemic in 2020. And so good good for them for providing theaters with some content, I suppose. Someone had to do it. Yeah. So, All right. Let's get on to our main list here. And of course, we'll have some honorable mentions at the end and things like that. But uh, what do you have for your number 10? So my number 10 pick is another movie that, um, depending on where you live and what you had access to, potentially could have been a release in uh, 2020 or maybe even 2019, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. But it's uh, Rose Glass's film, St. Maud, mm. uh, which is... I came to very late because of its weird-ass release here sure. in the U.S. where it was released in some theaters, but we didn't get it in any theaters here in Vegas. Right. Um, and then it was an exclusive on Epics for a while. Mm-hmm. And now I think finally you can see it on Hulu and on Amazon Prime. Um, but that's only been fairly recently. So I had had a lot of, you know, I heard a lot about this movie and had a lot of expectations for what it was as, quote, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I still was surprised by this because even though it is dark and horrific, I feel like this barely even qualifies as a horror movie. It's this character study of this woman who is whose mental state is kind of unraveling and it's about the uh you know the toxic effects of religion um i think uh, just mentally on this main character played by a morvid or morvid i don't know you pronounce her she's welsh Mm -hmm. pronounce her name uh morvid clark 
And I just found it fascinating in that way. Like it is creepy and it is suspenseful because this woman is unhinged and you don't know what kind of terrifying thing she might do next. Yeah. But I mean, I, this has probably been said and I don't remember if you did an episode on it, if there were influences or puzzle pieces, but to me, it reminded me a lot of First Reformed. Sure. Um, yeah. Which is not a horror movie, but is about sort of the horrors of the human soul. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, even though I had a lot of expectations and I put it on thinking after all this time, I'm probably going to be let down. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a really good. Um, I, it didn't make my list, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, you know, and like you said, it's not really horror, uh, although that ending sure is scary as shit. But yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, but again, especially I think the, not to spoil, but the last shot really shows you right. what's really happening there and brings it back to that sort of mundane, not mundane in a bad way, but that more rounded story of mental illness exactly yeah yeah but yeah yeah really good movie um and yeah i think qualifies for 2021 as far as i'm concerned so yeah again it didn't i mean disappointingly didn't get to the u.s until even that theatrical release was in early 2021 sure so i would you know waiting and waiting for that movie to come out for a long time well, my number 10 is a movie I waited and waited for it to come out because of the pandemic. Um, and I actually went really back and forth between a bunch of options for my number 10 here. But I finally landed on Nobody, the the Bob Odenkirk, John Wick-ish movie, uh, which is about him just kicking ass, basically. And uh, overall, didn't quite live up to you know the potential of you know uh, us better call Saul fans you know love what he's been doing lately and I think it's still a lot of fun and if nothing else we got what will probably end up being the action sequence of the year with him Christopher Lloyd and the RZA fighting side by side I mean who knew we needed that in our lives and we we got that um just such a fun moment within the movie. But uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun and definitely, like I said, didn't quite live up to what I expected. But at the same time, it, it lives up to kind of the premise of a B-movie kind of thing with Bob Odenkirk kicking ass. Yeah, it was fun. I think I agree with you that, that I, I don't know what I hoped for. And I don't watch Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. So I still think of Bob Odenkirk more in the comedy realm. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what I what I thought I would be getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did enjoy it. But yeah, it, it to me, it seemed like there was another level that it maybe didn't quite get to, but sure. still a lot of fun. And Bob Odenkirk is great in that role, you know, and I yeah. think it's it's cool to see because the role is also someone that you don't expect character is someone that you don't expect to do that it's sure so you have the right person playing that role yeah absolutely Um, yeah it was fun and it's it's visually creative to the what is that director's name Ilya. yeah i don't i don't nice schuler is that his name i I don't know how to say it but yeah yeah, something like that but definitely uh big step up from hardcore henry right right exactly (laughs) which i remember hating (laughs) yeah um but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had a fun time with that movie. For sure. What do you got for number nine? All right. Well, my number nine is a movie that uh, I think was sort of under-promoted, unfortunately, um, and maybe we'll still find be finding an audience, is a Hulu original film called Plan B, directed by uh, Natalie Morales, who's known as an actress. And it's actually... this. I think this is actually her second film, both of which are this year, the previous one. Uh, hasn't come out yet as it was at festivals. I forget what it's called. Mm. Um, 
But uh, this is just, I, I love these kinds of movies. And I think we talked about this last year with Banana Split, which sure. was probably on my halfway and all the way list. All the way, yeah. For last sure. year. Um, these, these movies that are about teen girl friendship and are about these characters supporting each other and being happy for each other. And there's just such genuine, great chemistry between these two stars who hadn't really... I, I wasn't familiar with it all. Uh, Kuhu Verma, who I think this is almost her first role, mm-hmm. and uh, Victoria Morales, who I think has done a little more, has done some TV stuff. But um, they're fantastic as these friends who have to go on this road trip odyssey, and it's it's, it's a familiar teen genre. Um, but the point of it being that they have to find this uh, morning after pill for Kuhu Verma's character, who's had this uh, sexual experience that she regrets. Yeah. Um, so it has some of that social commentary that yeah, there's a, a couple moments where it's maybe a little heavy handed. But overall, it really focuses on the characters and their friendship and their unique circumstances. So, um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. It's actually genuinely funny, too. It's not mm. just like a, quote, comedy that actually is serious that we see a lot of these. So... Yeah, Hulu dropped it with what seemed to me like no promotion. I know. And I think some people have been finding it, and I hope that more people will. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, It's definitely a fun movie. Um, I I didn't love it as much as you did, but uh, if nothing else, I hope more people check out Banana Split, because it really is great. And every time we talk about it, uh, hopefully someone else watches it. Yeah, I agree. That was on, it was on Netflix for a while, Banana Split. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. Well, uh, my number nine... First horror movie on my list. Uh, it's been a pretty big year for horror, it seems like. But uh, I'm not really a big Ben Wheatley guy, but I really liked In the Earth. I, I thought it was... Uh, well, as far as his other films are concerned, I mean, Free Fire. I, I've only seen Free Fire and High Rise of his other movies. High Rise, I just didn't get. Like, I know some people love that movie. It just did nothing for me. Free Fire, I liked, but I just didn't think it was, you know, anything too special. But um, In the Earth, though... You know, it's it's the first or one of the first post pandemic films, you know, shot like while things were still happening. And uh, it's one of these just just crazy, weird, trippy sci fi horror out in the forest kind of things. What kind of elevated it for me? First of all, um, I joked on Letterboxd that it's like a great entry in the poor fucking guy uh, subgenre of horror. Like what they put this guy uh, played by Joel Fry through is just it gets to that point of like nervous laughter where you're just like kind of laughing to yourself, like what could possibly happen to him next, you know? Um, and then on top of that, a Clint Mensell score that is just absolutely probably my favorite score of the year so far. Um, just some incredible music mixed in with the sound design, which is also really, really well done in this movie. So there's just a lot going for it that all kind of, I've thought elevated it to something pretty special. Yeah. I'm not big on Ben Wheatley either. Yeah. So uh, this 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 one included. But okay, I think yeah the the score and the sound design it was kind of a cool. It could have been a music video. Yeah, it very much video. could have. Yeah, uh, yeah. It didn't it didn't really come together for me. But okay, I'll keep trying with Ben Wheatley. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> Eventually, something's gonna like stick completely. Yeah. So what do you got next? Well, okay. So my next movie is uh, another one that was kicking around for a while since I think 2018 and finally was released uh, here in the US in 2021. Also, weirdly, I think to little fanfare, although this was a theatrical release, uh, it is Timur Bekmembetov's profile, 
a screen life movie, which is his, I mean, I don't know if he really invented it, but he sort of like patented the, mm. the style of making these films that are set uh, entirely on computer screens and, and mobile devices and stuff like that. Um, this is the first one he himself has directed. He produced the both of the Unfriended movies, as well as Searching, all of which I think are pretty good, good to great. The second Unfriended, I'm not crazy about. But this film is different. I mean, I think it's set up as, and I suppose you could call it a thriller, um, but unlike Searching or the Unfriended movies, it's not built around mystery or uh, suspense in that way. It is about this uh, British journalist who poses as a woman who has converted to Islam and sort of befriends slash uh, romances this uh, Islamic jihadi fighter in Syria and gets way in over her head. And we so we always know what's going on. It's not a mystery of like, who is she? And we're revealing her identity or something like that. But just the way that this character sort of loses herself in this thing that she's doing, that just starts out, it's supposed to be this article and part of it is her ambition as a journalist and she really wants to create this kind of mind-blowing piece that people will read that will catapult her career right. and then she just gets caught up in this relationship this fake relationship that she sort of starts to believe in and is is her sort of counterpart actually being genuine on his end so i think it's a lot of whether it has a lot to say about politics or about, uh, you know, terrorism and things like that? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a fascinating exploration of online identity and getting lost in sort of the persona that you can create online, whether that's as a, a Muslim jihadi or just as like someone who lives somewhere else or <laughs> is younger or, you know, any number of things that people might do online to fake their, their identity. So um, uh, Valerie Kane is the star of it who is fantastic. And because it's this computer screen movie, it's like really driven just by the, the, the two stars, you know, right. their faces are on screen most of the time. So I feel like this screen life thing may be burned out more quickly. Mm. I remember reading an article or an interview with Timur Bekmembetov where he talked about how he had like a hundred ideas for oh, these no. movies that he was going <laughs> to make. And I don't know if there's even any more in the works right now. I think there was one, that was like a Romeo and Juliet, a version of that that was all on screens that was at festivals. I don't know if that's him or if that's just in that style, mm. but it seemed like people were kind of excited for this as a new thing and then it fizzled. But I still think it's a really good way to present a story if you have a good story and that he always has. So yeah, it came out in theaters and then just nobody really paid attention. I assume it's available to watch at home now, but if you thought maybe, ah, this is just another copy of this other these other movies i think give it a chance profile my main thing to say about profile is uh before the pandemic as you know i would watch you know most things that i saw were in the theater and if i missed it in the theater i missed it and maybe i'd get to it one day but most likely not rest in peace profile that's like the first uh casualty of post-pandemic life i missed this one in the theaters and i have no idea when i'll get to it but i really wanted to see it though yeah and of course like all these i mean i watched it at home on a screener and mm. like all these screen life movies i feel like more than almost any other kind of movie it's fine to watch this at home on probably. a smaller screen probably yeah. um so yeah are you are you still are you back to not watching any new movies at home 
Not quite. Um, we, we were just talking before. Uh, I just watched Pig on a screener, um, so which is very good, by the way, for everyone listening. But uh, yeah, uh, not quite. But you know, attention spans, things like that, it makes makes it difficult. All right. <laughs> uh, something I did see in the theater. My number eight uh, is Zola from A24. Uh, another movie that was really on my most anticipated list of 2020 and just finally came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, based on an insane Twitter thread from Asia Zola Wells, uh, directed by Janixa Bravo, about this just crazy stripper saga that unfolds uh, on a trip to Tampa to uh, make some money stripping and then things go south from there. And uh, overall, I... I had a pretty big issue with the ending of this movie, which kind of dropped it down a few points for me, but it's still just, for such a dark subject matter, is really a lot of fun to watch, uh, regardless, mainly because four just fantastic performances at the center of this thing. Uh, Taylor Page, Riley Keough, Coleman Domingo, and Nicholas Braun, all of them just so great, so much fun to watch. It's It's kind of... It rides a strange line between like super crazy high energy and just this like sleepy, like, you know, that kind of new trap rap scissor thing of just very sleepy uh, energy. It, it just is very weird, very different, very new. Something that uh, at the time of this recording, our Zola episode hasn't gone up yet, but something we talk about is how uh, my guest and I like almost all of our puzzle pieces are like new movies from the last few years. Like, and just how this movie just has a very specific energy to like this very specific cultural moment. And, uh, I just think that's an interesting thing about this movie. And I think it's going to kind of, uh, catch a lot of attention over these coming months as more and more people see it. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't crazy. Not too big. I I mean, I had heard, you know, you're anticipating it because it's, it's, gotten buzz over the course of festivals and stuff and yeah. i had heard the same things and i was just uh i was i was pretty let down um and i think maybe in part because i don't know what you mentioned on your episode but if you bring up uh harmony corinne films, sure, absolutely and i really don't like the films that you probably brought up so yes, yeah. i can see how <laughs> i wouldn't and 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 janitza bravo i didn't see her previous film but um i think she's been big into that sort of like anti-comedy scene mm. which is another thing that i really dislike so yeah i i i was not crazy about it. and the other thing about that i don't want to like ruin but the twitter thread has a better ending and they left it out that's I don't the know biggest why problem with the movie i have a feeling this movie would be way higher on my list right now if it wasn't for just I, that ending and why they made that decision and i you know, I, I assume I'll eventually see like an interview or something where they'll talk about that decision. But uh, as just a viewer watching it, it does not make sense to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of not really engaged anyway, but I certainly at that point it was like, oh, that didn't help. But, right. Um, but I, <laughs> Riley Keough is great. I think she's she's the best thing in there. Yeah. She's she's a very she's always worth watching. She's yes, great. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you got for number seven? Well, I have a much more mainstream choice for my next one, and that is In the Heights. Okay. The musical from Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is, I guess, a polarizing figure now. I guess so. He went from being beloved to being uh, sort of, uh, people have strong positive or negative opinions about him. And although I don't, I don't, I think he's, he's fine. And I was sort of underwhelmed with Hamilton watching that on Disney Plus, which 
I think is at least in part because it's just, it's a filmed play and that loses a lot of what you would get in the live setting, just like a concert movie, which we've talked about on awesome movie year a bunch of times. Um, but in the Heights, I really enjoyed because it is a movie musical. They take right. the, the play and they make it cinematic. And I saw it on stage here at the Super Summer Theater, which is a community theater. So it's certainly not Broadway, but it was a good production and it was fun to watch. But I think the movie was much more enjoyable to me because it is visually quite impressive. Uh, John M. Chu, the director, is clearly, I'm not a fan of the Step Up movies, but he clearly knows how to shoot dancing he knows how to deal with choreography so all of those musical numbers look great the performers are excellent the the songs are catchy and it is more of a sort of traditional musical than hamilton which is fully sung through so we've got dialogue scenes and a more i think a story that i felt like i could grab onto a little better yeah um it's too long and i mean i think this is common with stage adaptations because those plays have intermissions and they're just designed and people understand that it's a longer experience. So toward the end, I was getting a little weary, but overall I had a really good time. And this movie is one that was heavily hyped and that's been kind of a bust at the box office. Yeah. So I don't know why people, maybe it's cause Lin-Manuel has this weird, so uh, hard to say. you know, uh, reputation or whatever. But I mean, if you like musicals, this is, this is a very classic style musical, which to me was a positive thing about it. Sure. Yeah. I, I like this movie a lot when it was going big, like, and that's the thing that to me was a little bit of a disappointment about it is that, you know, especially coming off like crazy rich Asians, like I thought it would be even bigger than it was. And it, it got big at times, but then there's a lot of more just kind of slowed down more just normal stage production kind of moments in it. Uh, but whenever it got big, it was a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, I mean that that ninety six thousand the the mm-hmm. pool number. I mean that's amazing. That's that's yeah. one of my you know top movie moments for the year. Definitely, sure. absolutely. All right, number seven for me, Josh. This is where uh, I go off the rails and uh, people it's stop listening. Sonic the Hedgehog again. It, close enough. <laughs> it is Mortal Kombat. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> This is my list, and uh, I'm I like what I like. What could I say? Uh, right. But I know people hate this movie so much. Uh, but uh, James Wan and Simon McCoy, I think they clearly are Mortal Kombat fans. And the thing is, I, I know a lot of people like to say, "How can you make a Mortal Kombat movie without the tournament?" Like that was like the big thing that people love to say. I have this sneaking suspicion that everyone who says that has not played a Mortal Kombat game since like 1994. Because the thing that this movie to me is mostly an adaptation of is the story mode in the most recent Mortal Kombat games, which is absolutely ridiculous. Just completely silly B-movie, less than B-movie, Z-movie type uh, dialogue and storytelling. It's all about double-crossing. The jokes are immature as hell. I mean, this is exactly what we got with this adaptation. I will, of course, I nobody is going to sit here and tell you that Cole Young is a worthwhile character to include in this whole story. Uh, he's definitely a waste of time. But, you know, I guess they felt we needed an entry point, so that that's it. But aside from him, uh, I love everything about this movie. It's stupid, it's silly, but it's the Mortal Kombat movie that I wanted to see. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I don't mm-hmm. think I had enough investment in it to hate it. Sure. I will say I went to see this movie at the drive-in 
and it was packed. Nice. And I've been going to the drive-in, you know, through the pandemic. That's been the thing. Like, I feel like that was a safe way to go see a movie on sure. a big screen, and I enjoyed doing it, and I continue to do it now instead of going to indoor theaters, because that, for me, is how I feel comfortable. And, you know, it, it was always, even at the biggest movie, I saw Tenet there, I saw Wonder Woman 84 there, and the turnout was always, you know, solid, okay, even sure. for those big movies. But Mortal Kombat, like, I was in a huge line to get in, and it was just, it felt like a party atmosphere, you know, like yeah. an opening night movie atmosphere for the first time. And people were clearly having a great time, so uh, I'll give it that. Hopefully between that and now that it just hit Blu-ray, uh, hopefully it makes enough money that people will get their tournament in a sequel. I think so. I think so, too. Well, what do you got for uh, number six? My number six pick is a movie that we talked about on the old Piecing It Together podcast. It is Alexander Asia's Oxygen, mm -hmm. his uh, Netflix thriller starring Melanie Laurent as a woman trapped inside a cryogenic pod of some kind, trying to figure out who she is, why she is there, how to escape, all of that. And it's a small, self-contained piece that as I was watching it after maybe 20 minutes, I thought, I don't see how this is going to be a feature film. And yet <laughs> it always finds new inventive twists that follow from what else has come before to extend the story and to show you more about this character and the world that she's in, even though it doesn't ever leave this pod and this one person. So I, yeah, I just thought it was a really effective version of this kind of thing. Melanie Laurent is great. And because she's essentially the only thing in the movie, except for some disembodied voices and brief video clips, like she has to be great. Mm -hmm. And she is. And Alexander Asia is, is, is excellent at building suspense. I mean, he's made a lot of horror movies, some of which are less good, some of which are solid. Yeah. Um, and I think working in this sort of smaller scale uh, setting that he did in a way in his previous film, Crawl, which was also a lot of fun, um, it works for him. So, yeah, I, I don't know what I expected out of this movie, but I feel like as far as genre movies go, it's one of the best this year. And... Um, Another one that I don't know if Netflix did a ton of promotion for. I was going to say the same thing, yeah. And, you know, Netflix puts out seemingly dozens of pieces of content every week that just go into some hole somewhere, but right. it's still there, you know? I think people should check it out. And, and also, weirdly, I think Alexander Asia is a well-regarded director among genre fans, and I feel like even people who keep up with horror didn't necessarily know that he had a new film and that sure. this was it, so... Check out Oxygen on Netflix. I hope more people do. Uh, also a fantastic score. Uh, another yes. one. Um, and yeah, it didn't quite make my top 10, but it's like right below. Uh, I, I liked it a lot too. Um, and also, uh, spoiler alert for if we end up doing a uh, top 10, you know, older movies we watched this year episode again, but one of the puzzle pieces, uh, Grand Piano, that you recommend is one of my favorite things I've watched this year. So. I'm, I'm very excited that you like Grand Piano, because <laughs> so that good. movie is insane and awesome. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, all right. Another uh, crazy movie. Uh, my number six is Shiva Baby. You know, th this movie, it's just this... This exercise in Jewish awkwardness and anxiety that kind of rivals some of the worst situations Larry David's gotten himself into. But in this case, it is this young woman uh, played by Rachel Sinna, who is just fantastic in this movie, uh, directed by Emma Seligman, about this girl who is at a, uh, a shiva, of course, uh, this Jewish family, and 
as anyone who has really, you don't even have to be Jewish to understand, uh, just being stuck in a room around family can just be anxious for anybody, I think. And I think that just comes through so much, amplified, of course, by the Jewiness, but uh, really just comes through in this movie, which, as I'm certainly not the first person to joke about this, is kind of a horror movie, even though it's not. Well, yeah, and they're clearly, it's not just a joke. I mean, I think they're clearly uh, playing that up. The score. The score, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. is, is something that you would hear in a horror movie. And even a lot of the shooting style, the kind of uncomfortable close-ups and uh, mm-hmm. long swooping takes around the room is is a way to build that tension yes um that's it wouldn't surprise you if someone suddenly was murdered right in the yeah. middle of this movie <laughs> for sure yeah <laughs> um yeah i'll i'll say more about that soon like that movie so. all right cool what do you got for number five number five is a movie that honestly i the more i think about it the more i think i might bump it up my list eventually that I just really liked, which is Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move on HBO Max. And I've been mixed on Soderbergh's recent output, his uh, sort of uh, post-retirement, right? uh, right. you know, which was his, his, what, one one year, maybe two year retirement or something like that. And then he's come back and made like six movies and a TV series since then. very prolific, Steven Soderbergh. And I mean, that's one great thing is that if you don't like something that he does, well, he'll probably have two more movies out before you can really even think about it. Sure. Um, but his last HBO Max movie, uh, Let Them All Talk, I thought was a little underwhelming. But No Sudden Move is just, it's a really, really good crime thriller. It's engrossing. It's got great performances. I mean, obviously, Steven Soderbergh can get pretty much anybody he wants to be in one of his movies. So he gets great actors. But Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro as the leads are really fascinating. And, you know, the smaller parts, the sort of uh, villainous parts, whether that's Ray Liotta, or I guess, is it a spoiler to say who the sort of villain who shows up and later in the film is? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. uh... Well, I don't know if I should spoil it for you then. It's really not. But Mm. anyway, a lot of great performances from a lot of great uh, actors, Uh, Amy Simitz, um, uh, Julia Fox from Uncut Gems, which I know you are uh, a big fan movie. of. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really well-constructed crime thriller. It's one of those movies where I feel like half the time I was like, I don't entirely know what's going on, but it still felt like it all added up at the end. Mm-hmm. It has this weird strain of social commentary that at one point I thought, oh, this is becoming a lecture. And then it doesn't. It swerves back into... It's really about the characters and their relationships and who's screwing over whom and who's in danger here. It's got a great period detail in the 1950s in Detroit. And Soderbergh, in his typical way, picks a random ass visual style and just decides to experiment. And right, yeah. so that to me didn't entirely work. These sort of fisheye style lenses that distort the frame that he uses almost the entire time. But it didn't distract me enough. Um, and sometimes it's a it's an effective uh, technique. But I think sometimes it, it's just you wonder, like, why are you doing this? Um, especially because it opens with this vintage style, like this old Warner Brothers logo and these credits that are in an old style. And you think he's going to maybe shoot it in this sort of classical style. Mm. And instead, he shoots it in a very modern, uh, almost aggressively modern style. So mm. I don't know if I quite got that. But overall, just like. I was riveted. It's funny. It's if you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to finally get to it. I, I don't know why I've been putting it off. I mean, I, I think it is because most of what I've seen of his recent work just 
hasn't really done much for me, but uh, I did like the trailer, so I probably should get around to it sometime soon. Yeah. From the writer of all three Bill and Ted movies, if that helps. Okay. That <laughs> helps a little bit. <laughs> all right. My number five is a little movie called PG Psycho Gorman. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. You, you recommended it to me uh, back when it first came out, and uh, it, it's not perfect by any means, and yeah. uh, it's a very specific kind of humor to this movie um and maybe not everything works exactly but the central premise of this little girl gaining control over this over-the-top ridiculously evil monster from outer space and hell and everything else uh it's kind of et meets guar uh we did do an episode on it and uh, it was a really fun episode this is a, a fun movie to talk about when it comes to uh, inspirations and things like that but yeah it, it's just an absolute blast if you're into this kind of uh ridiculousness and over-the-topness and the you know i don't want to give it away for anyone who hasn't seen it yet but the final showdown between psycho Gorn and uh and the villain is just an all-timer for me as far as like these kinds of moments like in horror comedy go it's just so much fun so ridiculous i was dying yeah that is a fun movie i mean i guess i did recommend it to you and it is it is a lot of fun um i think it was a movie where like in the first 20 or so minutes i thought this is awesome and then it just (laughs) kept going and i felt like maybe it ran out of steam for its very basic uh pleasures it's a one note premise basically yeah yeah but but it still is a lot of fun especially if you uh are into like what like trauma movies and that kind of stuff and i don't remember the actress's name but the little girl who is Mm -hmm. just the world's biggest brat oh yeah is great Mm -hmm. and because she in a way is the villain (laughs) because she is just so narcissistic Mm -hmm. and using this horrible monster to do her bidding and i i I thought that aspect of it was hilarious absolutely yeah a lot of fun i just remembering now about the dad how funny he is too (laughs) there's a lot of funny characters but uh yeah people should definitely check that out uh what do you have for your number four uh, well, my number four is Shiva Baby, which just cool. uh, came up. So uh, I'll, I'll agree with everything that you said about that movie. And I mean, it's it's also a really great representation of uh, of a bisexual character. Sure. Um, of, you know, maybe a sort of uh, representation that isn't seen as much. And I think I like that it gives it gives equal weight to both aspects sort of of her sexual and romantic life Mm -hmm. um so i thought that was a fact that you didn't even though yeah you want her to end up with her ex-girlfriend more so than the the sugar daddy especially once we see he's married yeah um but you can see her genuine emotional pull towards both characters which i i I liked about it diana agron who we hadn't mentioned is really good in the somewhat thankless role of the like ice queen wife who has to you know be the antagonist in a way um and as someone who does suffer from anxiety and specifically from social anxiety, I felt like it was something that I could identify with sure. very well. So, uh, yeah, good movie. Awesome. Uh, my number four, I, I don't usually uh, get super into animated movies. Um, I, I should watch more of them, but uh, this one just really blew me away, and that's The Mitchells vs. Machines on Netflix. Uh, this was a Sony Pictures animation film that would have been in theaters, but you know, after the pandemic, Netflix went and bought it. And uh, you know, this is a movie that truly loves movies and that's i I think the thing that i connected with i know a lot of other people did too 
Um, it, it's just a, a movie that kind of like this podcast, like likes to look at other films for inspiration. Uh, there, there's so many like inside jokes and Easter eggs and, and things and not in the, uh, just like, Hey, look at that, look at that kind of way. Um, but more in the actually taking cues from things that worked in the past. And, uh, it's just this fun road trip movie with a wacky family and robots, I guess, uh, cyborgs, whatever they are, but you know, just big over the topic exciting fun spectacle and a lot of jokes along the way so much fun so funny uh lots of great characters the dog is fantastic you know i love a good dog character uh and it spawned a lot of great memes that have got us through this year so that too memes are are important they are important yeah i liked it i feel like i wish i liked it more because so many people love it and Mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing that i feel like oh i would love and it is it is very entertaining and all the things that you said I felt like it went on a little too long, mm-hmm. uh, especially for something that is kind of silly and insubstantial sure. in a lot of ways. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I would say it's the best animated movie this year yeah. um, thus far. Um, not that it has a ton of competition, I yeah. guess. But Few um, yeah, so uh, it didn't make my list, but certainly a movie I enjoyed too. Awesome. What do you got for number three? Well, my number three is another movie about sugar daddies. Mm. Um, and this is certainly the most obscure thing on my list is a Canadian film called Sugar Daddy okay. um, from director Wendy Morgan and starring um, an actress who I was not familiar with, but who apparently is on Letterkenny, which I know is a favorite of my awesome movie year co-host, Jason Harris. Sure. Uh, Kelly McCormick. And my guess is this is a very different role from whatever she does on Letterkenny because this is not a comedic film, really. Um, She plays this struggling musician who gets into the business of being a sugar baby uh, via one of these websites that you can sign up for, and she does it for extra money, and it turns into something that kind of consumes her life and also fuels her art. So there's a lot of character stuff going on in this movie about her sense of her own identity and her own worth and the way she relates to these guys and if she gets kind of too close to some of them or some of them get closer than she wants to her. But it also has these sort of impressionistic, almost music video style interludes Hmm. where she interprets her uh, experiences via her original songs, um, which I believe Kelly McCormick also sings and possibly co-composed. It's just an amazing like bravura performance from her. And uh, like Shiva Baby, I think an open-minded and thoughtful examination of sex work as legitimate, but also not discounting sort of the emotional toll that it can take on people. Sure. Yeah. It sounds interesting. Um, I I had not heard of it, but uh, I will have to check that out. Yeah. I don't think many people have heard of it. It was something that I came across from my uh, VOD column that I write where I'm looking for things that people haven't heard of, most of which turn out to be very bad. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But there are some gems I wrote about Psycho Gorman there, which went on to become a much bigger sensation. This one did not. But I think it should. It was on uh, Hoopla for a while, at least. You could watch it for free. Um, I'm not sure if it still is, but I'm sure it's available somewhere. Uh, And a good companion piece to Shiva Baby. So, Sugar Daddy. Right on. Uh, My number three is a movie that, at first, I didn't think I would be calling a movie or including on my list, but it's Bo Burnham's Inside, which I see you laughing over there. You know, everybody's considering whether or not this is a movie, I think. It is getting a uh, theatrical run for a night uh, next month, which will, you know, 
do something to get its legitimacy yeah, out there maybe I they, don't show, know. they show ufc fights in theaters though. that's true <laughs> but uh yeah no i i wasn't the biggest bo burnham fan um i i like his stuff and of course i loved eighth grade um so i it wasn't even really on my radar like oh bo burnham's doing a new special you know whatever but you know i bought into the hype around this movie i watched it as far as I'm concerned, this is just an experimental film that was made by one person in his room. It's got a through line between it all. It's the songs are fantastic. There's so much fun, you know, as Weird Al fans, you know, I don't know how you feel about this movie, but uh, I think some of the songs are really, really funny and catchy and just good and smart. Um, and I just think the creativity on display is just uh, absolutely infectious. You know, as somebody who spent most of the pandemic sitting in his room working on stuff whether it be podcasts or my new album and stuff like that uh i i get the the idea of just not seeing the sunlight and just sitting there working on things the whole time and so it this really captured how that has been this past year and i don't think anything will capture that quite like this movie so yeah i, I loved it and uh it's my number three yeah i haven't seen it but okay. i mean i i'm not like against it or anything mm -hmm. um i think it sounds Without having seen it, it sounds like it's a legit thing to consider as a movie. And and I think, and maybe I'm completely off base because I haven't seen it, but I think of things like, you know, there's personal documentaries, things like uh, Tarnation by Jonathan Cowett or all the films by Ross McElwee that, you know, if you're less generous, you could say like, this is a home movie or whatever, right. but it's it's a legit documentary feature. So, I mean, to me, that's what I'm imagining, you know, is is like you said, is this one person experimental film where he's exploring his own thoughts and feelings about right. stuff. I mean, that's what those movies are. So yeah, I hadn't, I've never seen any of his other more traditional comedy specials, but I did like eighth grade and I like him as an actor. He was good in promising young woman. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, I do love weird Al. So, um, I'm, I'm curious to see it. And it's weird because I think there was a time when stand up specials, were considered movies Absolutely. like in the 80s because yeah. they were theatrical releases. You think of Eddie Murphy Raw or something. I wonder if we're going like to get to one of those on Awesome Movie or sometime. Yeah, maybe. I Not mean, that. that certainly those Eddie Murphy ones were like massive yes. box office successes. Yeah. And I think with the rise of HBO and especially Comedy Central, stand up specials became something that were so common and often aren't feature length and were just filler programming that nobody thought of them as movies. Yeah. But I think lately with streaming services, and this is maybe a more extreme example because of the style of it, but the idea of these things as cinematic has come back a lot. And yeah. some of these comedians, and I can't think of examples off the top of my head now, but some of these comedians will hire like notable filmmakers oh, to yeah. direct their specials and bring some style to them. And, or even do something unconventional. I know Tig Notaro has an animated comedy special coming up at HBO. And I mean, an animated, I don't know if it's quite feature length, but if it, you know, a feature length animated piece would generally be thought of as a movie just because it contains comedy. There's a lot of people involved in making an animation. Right. It's not just her standing on a stage and someone pointing a camera at her. Yeah. So I definitely think it can be a movie and I, I should check it out. Absolutely. Well, uh, what do you got for number two? So my number two pick is another movie that we talked about on this podcast, and that is The Vigil. We said it's a great year for horror. And, um, you know, I didn't necessarily expect that this would be at the top or near the top of my list when I watched it for the first time. But I feel like it's really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. uh, Keith Thomas is the director. And 
it's a pretty simple premise in a lot of ways in terms of horror movies. It's one night in a creepy house, basically. Yeah. Uh, but like Shiva Baby, it's very Jewish. Um, it is set even more Jewish than Shiva Baby. A little more, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is set within this this uh, ultra orthodox community in in Brooklyn, in New York, and the main character played by uh, Dave Davis has sort of separated himself from this community and gone into the secular community, but he's still got a lot of ties and he's drawn back by money, really, but also because he is sympathetic, I think, to a lot of the people there. And this rabbi asks him to sit Shiva for uh, someone who can't do it herself. He's, uh, I forget what the term is for for what he does, mm -hmm. but it's a particular position in Judaism where you sit Shiva when no one else is able to. And it's yeah. for this old man who's died and his wife is has dementia and can't really quite grasp what's going on. Um, or does she? Right. <laughs> um, and she's she's played by Lynn Cohen, who is a veteran actress, I feel like, who's played a lot of creepy old ladies and a lot of things, but mm -hmm. she's very creepy here. And so as the night goes on, he faces a uh, demon of sorts, and he faces his own inner demons and conflicts about separating from this community and about what religion has done to him. So it has some thoughtful themes, but it's also really fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if this will be as high at the end of the year. I feel like it may not be. But for now, I, I really liked it. So, yeah, check out the vigil, especially if you're a horror fan or a Jew. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't quite make my top 10, but uh, I liked it a lot, too. And definitely, you know, even though, like we talked about on the episode, it uses a lot of the familiar horror movie tropes, it still feels like so completely unique because of that setting. So that's cool. Yeah, totally. So uh, my number two is a movie that a lot of people hate for a variety of reasons. I'll quickly list them, but it's called Malcolm and Marie on Netflix. It's uh, a movie from Sam Levinson, and people hate this movie. Here's some of the reasons. Uh, <laughs> they hate that Sam Levinson is using a film to talk back at critics for uh, negative reactions to his last film. They hate that he's using black characters to speak through. Uh, they hate that it's two hours of a couple just fighting the whole time. Uh, they hate, apparently, that John David Washington is older than Zendaya and they're in a relationship. I, I, uh, you know, there's other things I could list, too. But for me I and other people who enjoyed this movie, I feel like they're kind of missing the point that this is a movie that just absolutely has freaking balls and goes for all of these things. And I feel like it really has something to say. And it just happens to wear its heart and inspiration on its sleeve and i think it's crazy it's beautiful it's unique uh and i think it is something that i'm going to be thinking about for a long time both from the aspect of the relationship and from the what these people are saying on screen i think they're both equally uh deep and interesting and worth paying attention to uh even if it didn't work for a lot of other people I didn't see it. I know. You haven't seen it yet, right? I don't know that I will because yeah. everything about it is something that I generally hate. I, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, do I want to sit through this for two hours? Yeah. And once it gets past sort of release week and it's not something that I'm obligated to review, mm -hmm. I hated Sam Levinson's previous film, Assassination Nation. Which, by the way, I did not like either. I attempted to watch Euphoria and turned it off halfway through the first episode. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um... <laughs> And I just, movies like this, I, I tend, you know, I don't 
often care for. So that plus the overall negative reaction. I mean, if it was one of the most acclaimed movies of the year, I might say, okay, well, I should give this a shot. Yeah. But you're right that you're in the kind of minority in in being a big fan of this. So I don't know if I'll get to it. But uh, I I appreciate that. I've I've been in that position many times of saying, wait a minute. No, this is great. What are people talking about? (laughs) So I'm, 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 I'm supportive of you on that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, we are at the number ones. What do you got for number one? Okay, well, this is a movie that most people seem to not like that I thought was great. So it's uh, thematically appropriate. Um, Nice. So um, and it's also a movie that I think a lot of people would consider a 2020 release because it was considered for awards, even though it didn't get anywhere with that, Uh um, but didn't hit uh, general release until I think maybe March of this year. Um, and that is Azazel Jacobs' French Exit, mm-hmm. starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges. And I went into this movie, I mean, weirdly, this echoes my number one movie at the end of the year from 2020, which was Dreamland. Mm. Um, that was a movie that was not particularly well-reviewed. And by the time it was coming out, I thought, do I even need to bother with this? Right. And I just kind of thought, well, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. And this movie also, the week that it was opening, it was a very limited, I think it opened in one or two theaters here in Vegas. I didn't know if I was going to cover it at all. And I thought, do I even need to bother watching this? Well, okay, I'll give it a shot. Mm. Because I really like Azazel Jacobs' other movies that I've seen, uh, including The Lovers and Terry and Mama's Man, all of which I would recommend. And I just was blown away, not only by, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is fantastic in oh, this yeah. movie. This is the best performance she has given in a long, long time. Definitely. And she kind of went away for a little while and has come back in, she's obviously choosing roles that are challenging for her where she does not care whether she's doing anything commercial. And I appreciate that. Um, but this, I think, is just the best thing that she's done in that period at all. And it, as a character who you'd think that the audience would hate as this sort of spoiled socialite who has not really worked in her life and her husband has died and she's burned through all his money and is about to be completely broke and can't handle life that doesn't involve living in a luxury apartment (laughs) with a doorman and with everything taken care of for her. And you think, oh, I'm going to hate this person. But Michelle Pfeiffer gives, I mean, it's a very, it's a big performance. It's very showy, but it really also has so much depth to it as this character. And you understand sort of her difficulty in facing life and also the relationship that she has with her adult son played by Lucas Hedges, who is someone I don't particularly care for. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, he's kind of the weakest link here just because he always plays these kind of whiny, wet blankety characters. (laughs) Right. But I feel like it works here for the contrast between these two characters and they move to this apartment in Paris in order to save money, uh, one of Michelle Pfeiffer's character's friends says, you can use my, you know, there are people who own empty apartments in Paris. That's how rich they are. <laughs> right. And they end up amassing this weird, like, community of people who just sort of start crashing with them. And all these great, weird little performances, Valerie Mahaffey as just this random woman who is like a fan of Michelle Pfeiffer's character yeah, as I lo- I like, love a that. socialite. And she's <laughs> yeah. so hilarious. Danielle McDonald, who people still uh, remember from, um, oh God, now I can't remember the movie where she played a rapper, but oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that had yeah. dollar signs in its title. God, I can't, this is sad. I should Patty over- Cakes? Patty Cakes, there thank you. you. Yes, yeah. which is not great. Yeah. But she is really good as this sort of, uh, as a medium who is like people assume is a sham, but is actually not. Mm. Um, 
Also, there's a talking cat yes. voiced by Tracy Letts. I mean, it's got it's hilarious, but it's also so melancholy and emotionally affecting. And I don't understand why people didn't like this. Yeah. I really don't. So I loved it. And I like I would say, oh, get, check it out because people missed it. But I guess people don't like it. So maybe be wary of checking it out, but give it a <laughs> shot if you just thought it was a movie that was dismissed by people. I, you know, I agree with you, Josh. I like this movie a lot too. Um, obviously not on my list, but uh, I don't understand why people didn't connect with it either. I, I thought it was great. Um, I, I, I do want to rewatch it one of these days to see if maybe I like it even as much as you're, you know, you've been raving about it since earlier in the year. But you know, definitely, there's a lot to really love about this. And I think, like you said, Michelle Pfeiffer is so good in this. I really like Lucas Hedges, and I think he's great in it as well. Yeah, I, I mean. I do think people should seek it out. Just, you know, maybe have an open mind, I guess. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I would say like maybe, you know, maybe people won't enjoy it, but give it a shot at yeah. least. Don't dismiss it. And I, I mean, again, Azazel Jacobs, I think is a really good filmmaker. So mm-hmm. give all, you know, he's kind of a never been a A-list, even indie kind of filmmaker, but I always enjoy his stuff. Going back to seeing Mama's Man at the Cinevegas Film Festival when I didn't nice. know anything about it. Yeah, he's very talented. Awesome. Well, uh, my number one is probably pretty obvious. Uh, and it's Sonic you know, the Hedgehog. <laughs> close enough. Um, this is a movie that is kind of difficult to uh, separate from the experience of going back to the movie theaters after 14 months away from them. Uh, and that's, of course, Godzilla vs. Kong, which was my first movie back. And don't get me wrong. I love this movie. Um, I, I genuinely love it. I, in any year, it would have been towards the top. Maybe number two, number three. But you know what? Fuck it. It's my number one this this year so far. This movie is ridiculous. It's How could it not be ridiculous? So uh, Adam Wingard, uh, a director who I'm not particularly fond of in his previous works, but I give him major props because he went into this movie, which is more so a continuation of the Godzilla series uh, than anything. But you can tell he is a King Kong fanboy going into this, just like I am. He loves King Kong, the character, and this movie, to me, and I think to most people who recognize it as soon as they start watching it, uh, this movie is about King Kong and how just great a character King Kong is, how much fun he can be. Uh, this movie is just, you know, there's the old, you know, Martin Scorsese versus Marvel, like movies as theme park rides. This is 100% just a theme park ride dressed up as a movie, but it is a fun one. Everything about it is completely ridiculous, but so are most kaiju and monster movies. Um, I, leading up to this, tried to catch up on quite a few i watched like i don't know maybe seven or eight like old godzilla and king kong movies and the original 1962 king kong versus godzilla which is terrible you know (laughs) most of these movies are really bad i don't know why that is why other than the original king kong and the original godzilla most of these movies are just terrible but i think it just you know, maybe there's just not much more left to say about these kinds of situations. Uh, so if you're going to do it, go big and go huge and just have fun with it the way this movie does. That's, that's really what I have to say about it. All right. I know you didn't really like it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it and I watched it at home. So Mm -hmm. maybe if I had not the same seen it on a bigger screen, I would have enjoyed it more. I, I appreciated that it had a lot of that spectacle that it Mm -hmm. wasn't, I mean, I kind of like the 2014 Godzilla, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gareth Edwards one, 
which does hold back on Godzilla for a while. I thought it more than a while built (laughs) enough. I thought it built enough atmosphere and intrigue to, to make it worth the buildup and had a lot of good moments. But this movie, anytime that they're not fighting is terrible. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. They can't even bother to. And I realize people aren't watching these movies necessarily because there's fascinating human characters or storylines or whatever, but it's just so haphazard and none of the things connect to each other or like have any point whatsoever. And they throw all of these like big actors in there and they all just like are lost. No one gives a good performance in this movie. You don't, you don't like the Kong whisperer as played by uh, uh, Rebecca. What's her name? Rebecca Hall. Who Hall, I think yeah, is, yeah. is fantastic. She's yeah. so talented, but no one, no one like you could put, the greatest actors of all time in this, and it would defeat them. Oh yeah, it's, it's, this is like movie versus actors. Yeah. Um, but no, but I do. I did enjoy the the spectacle of it, and yeah. I did appreciate that they Adam Wingard didn't hold back. Yes, on that. So you know, it was mildly fun. Um, and uh, you know, it it it's very pro podcasting, so that's good too. That's true too. Yeah, I like that about it. <laughs> well, let let's get to a few honorable mentions. Uh, first one that I wanted to mention, uh, and then we'll jump to you, is uh, a little movie called Zack Snyder's Justice League, oh, which. Boy. I, I gotta say, I didn't hate at all. I, I actually enjoyed it and considered it uh, for my list, but I also kind of considered it, I still at this point don't know whether or not to disqualify it for not really being a 2021 movie or not. So I just decided to make it an honorable mention and that's that. Yeah, that's fair. That is a weird thing. It's like when people put that uh, Orson Welles movie, The Other Side of the Wind <laughs> on their list a couple years ago. Yeah, that yeah. Was, you know, restored from the 1970s or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't see Zack Snyder's Justice League because that's I, four hours of your exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. I have I have much better things to do with four hours of my life. Yeah. And I don't think I've really ever liked anything Zack Snyder has done. Um, but, you know, I have to give Zack Snyder respect because he only does exactly what he wants. And yeah. even if even if his visions are these like, to me, terrible, overblown uh popcorn nightmares Mm -hmm. like that's what he wants and he has as much integrity as like any art filmmaker there is so credit to him for that absolutely well do you have any uh honorable mentions you wanted to bring up yeah i hadn't really necessarily thought of this but just off the top of my head um one movie that like when i was sort of struggling to come up with a list before i was uh watching a couple extra things a movie that i was like well i guess i could put this at number 10 is the Courier with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, which okay. is just is not like a great movie, but it's just a really solid version of that kind of dad movie. Okay. It's a Cold War espionage story. It's based on a true story, even though they probably changed a lot about it. It's got Benedict Cumberbatch doing his thing as a sure. British guy who's very British. It's suspenseful at times. Uh, it's well constructed. It keeps your interest. It doesn't do anything new. I kind of forgot about it not long after seeing it. But mm-hmm. when I was looking back at my letterboxed and I saw that I had seen it, I thought, you know what? That's a good movie. Yeah. It's the kind of movie you turn on in the afternoon and maybe you don't watch everything fully closely, but it's satisfying. So sure. yeah, The Courier. Good stuff. Awesome. Did your dad see that? I feel like that's a movie for your dad. I don't think he did, but yeah, I'm going to tell him. Uh, I'm going to tell him. Maybe I'll rent it for him. So. Yeah, yeah. Give it a try. Um, 
And then one movie that I actually did watch in my attempt to catch up that I didn't really expect to put on my list, but I just have a weird affection for these movies, and that's uh, To All the Boys, Always and Forever, the third movie in the To All the Boys trilogy on Netflix, starring Lana Condor as Laura Jean Covey. And there was really no reason for there to be more than one of these movies. Uh, The hook for the first one being that her secret letters to her crushes uh, are sent, and she has to deal with that fallout, and... She has a kind of fake relationship with the one of them, which turns into a real relationship. Peter Kavinsky, played by Noah Centineo. And the first one is fun. Uh, the second one, this third one is better than the second one, this new one. And I just like, it's just kind of like a nice, comforting pillow, these okay. movies. They're really nice characters doing nice things. I mean, more so than ever, there are like no stakes to this third movie whatsoever. Okay. Um, but... I just liked spending time with these people. They're all charming. They're fun to watch together. It's got good little musical montages. And I mean, if this isn't your thing, then you do not want to watch these movies. Right. But as far as like teen rom-coms go, if you have any affection, these are, I feel like, good examples of it. So I was happy to spend a little more time with these characters, even though it was totally unnecessary. (laughs) All right. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, a couple more honorable mentions from me. Uh, You know, you brought up in your list, you brought up Oxygen and the Vigil. Um, I'll add Come True to that list, which was also very good. Um, Also Censor, which was also almost my number 10. I'd probably have it at number 11. Uh, Another horror comedy called Bloody Hell that nobody watched, but... I really liked it. Did you yeah, see that? I haven't seen it, but I, I saw that you had liked it. And I yeah. actually, I had, I was cleaning out emails and I had had a screener link for it. And I thought, oh, I could watch this, but it expired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> One of these days, maybe. Yeah. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. I'm just lazy. And I was <laughs> like, that was more effort than I could put in. But I, I, I remember you raving about it. I also really like the Sparks Brothers um, and Summer of Soul, which are both out right now. Uh you know, neither of them make my list or anything, but uh, both both fun documentaries worth checking out. Yeah, I will say, like, great year for horror, and I'm I'm with you on recommending Come True and Censor, uh, which didn't either of those make my list, but both very effective, engrossing, scary-ish movies. Sure. Yeah, I haven't, and I, well, we've talked enough about my lack of interest in music documentaries <laughs> on Awesome Movie Year. I did, That's true. I did see Summer of Soul, which is... Fine. I really like the performances, uh, but the rest of it, fine. Yeah. See, and I was the opposite. I thought the historical stuff was interesting, but okay. basically any just concert performance thing, I tune out. Okay. So regardless of what kind of music or whatever. So uh, yeah, but I mean, that's the kind of film where I'm like, this is just not my thing. And for what it is, I can see why people are really into it. Okay. Well, uh, to wrap it up, I did write down some of the things that people mentioned in our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group. So I'm going to just read through a few of them that we haven't talked about yet. Um, although, of course, Chad Clinton Freeman talked about Justice League, um, and so, so did Adam Wells. Chad also brought up Pasture, which I've heard good things about. Have you seen that? No, and not, not, to, not to pile on Chad, but I... Well, his next one is Hunted, which I know is supposed to just be terrible from everything I've heard. I haven't seen it. Oh, that, uh, I think I saw that one, the Shudder movie. Yeah. That was, it wasn't terrible. No? It was, it okay. was, it was, and it actually got a lot of positive notices beyond just Chad. Okay. So I think yeah. that's my feeling. If Chad recommends something, I'm like, 
okay, but did anyone else like this? Okay. (laughs) If other people like it, okay. But a movie that Chad is the only recommendation on. Yeah. And I haven't seen anything else on Pasture. I will steer clear. Yeah. I haven't seen anything else on that either. So, uh, but you know, much like Zack Snyder, I respect Chad for always doing and saying exactly what he truly thinks. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, he also mentioned Sensor, which I brought up already. Uh, Arthur Glover brought up Inside, which I brought up. Uh, Joe Black brought up Rifkin's Festival, which I'm sure none of us will ever see, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, A, that hasn't actually been released right. here, but I think, I think we may get it. I mean, yeah. A Rainy Day in New York is streaming on Amazon right now. After yeah. all the whatever with that, like, yeah. it just came out and nobody, like, without any fanfare whatsoever. So right. I could see that happening with Rifkin's Festival also. Possibility. Uh, two people, uh, Blair Duane and Ryan Doherty, brought up Willy's Wonderland, uh, which I, I had fun with, but I didn't think it was that great. But uh, I definitely had fun with the movie. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I maybe had a little less fun, but it was fine. Your awesome movie, your co-host Jason Harris, brought up Luca. Speaking of other animated well, movies, Luca's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. Paul Hibbard brought up Censor as well, uh, and Gina brought up just, <laughs> my, my wife Gina brought up just what the doctor ordered, a Lifetime movie with Eric Roberts, which is the, I think, third or fourth in a long-running series about this crazy doctor that Eric Roberts plays, which I gotta agree with her. This is one of the most fun Lifetime movies I've seen in a long time, so. Yeah. I will say, there are some weird-ass Lifetime movies. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I, there's like, I don't know if, it, I don't know if this came up because you watched it or I just cross, came across it somewhere else. There's like a series with sharks. <laughs> yes. There's this guy who is like a shark trainer or something. And it, his way of killing people is always luring them over to the sharks, you know? And um, yeah, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I, I just said that this is the best one I've seen in a while, but that one's pretty great too. So. Yeah. I mean, as a connoisseur of terrible shark movies, I, I, I perked up. I thought I, I, I would want to check this out. I just watched a b-movie a shark b-movie for my vod column and like i'm always eager to i mean if i can watch ouija shark i could probably watch the lifetime shark yeah i think they wouldn't be too far apart that's for (laughs) sure uh but yeah that that about does it um that a lot of a lot of movies if people haven't watched them you know definitely check them out and there will be uh plenty more in this next six months there'll be plenty for us to talk about so uh is there anything else you watched recently you want to recommend Oh, man, I feel like I've tapped out on all yeah, my recommendations. We talked about there. a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was all this whole episode. So, yeah. uh, no, I'll recommend um, not a movie. Can I recommend a thing that's not a movie? Do it. Let's do it. Uh, I just finished watching Schmigadoon on Apple TV+, Plus, which I think will probably be out or if will in, within a few days when this comes out. I haven't even heard of this. It is. And, and I will say, like, A, it's one of those things where it's like six uh, episodes and it should have probably just been a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it kept my interest. They're short episodes. They're like 25-ish minutes long. And it is hugely indebted to movies it is a pastiche of old hollywood musicals i mean Hmm. it's the kind of thing where i thought if you haven't seen like oklahoma and easter parade and the sound of music and stuff i don't know if you would appreciate this as much although they go out of their way to explain uh it stars uh cecily strong and keegan michael key as this couple who accidentally stumble into this sort of uh hidden mystical town that they can't escape where uh, life is an old Hollywood musical. So it's got full on musical, multiple musical numbers in every episode that are very effective recreations of those kinds of songs with a lot of great 
musical performers of Kristen Chenoweth and Jane Krakowski and Alan Cumming. Um, and uh, what's her, uh, Ariana DeBose, I think is her name, who's going to be in the Spielberg West Side Story that's been yeah. delayed. So, I mean, if you're a musical fan, 100% watch it. But even as just like a comedy fan, it's produced by Lorne Michaels. It's I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, that's true, actually. Uh, this has been a big year for musicals and coming up a lot of stuff, too. And yeah, musicals are kind of a blind spot for me. So, I, I mean, I'm going to watch all these big ones that are coming. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I connect with all that stuff. So Yeah, so I feel like your your enjoyment may vary based on that. Yeah. And I'm not like a musical connoisseur, necessarily. They mentioned that Cecily Strong's character is meant to be as big fan of musicals, and she mentions a lot. And there were definitely a bunch that I had not seen that she mentioned, but I have enough knowledge and affection for it that I was like, oh yeah, that and that, and I can see what they're doing with that. And it was just a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Josh, why don't you tell people what's going on on Awesome Movie Year and uh, where they can find you? Uh, well, Awesome Movie Year is, I think, still it, we're, as this comes. Oh yeah, as this comes out, we're in the midst of our season on 1967. Still in the middle, yeah. Yeah, and that's been a lot of fun, I think, because this is the furthest back we've looked at uh, film history. And so we're kind of talking about a lot of major filmmakers and movements that we just haven't really had a chance to touch on, but that are important and that there's a lot to, to say about. So that's been really fascinating. So check out Awesome Movie Year at awesomemovieyear.com and at Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, I guess. I, there's literally nothing on there. It exists. Um, you know, and, uh, and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. And, you know, check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, my stuff, you can see some stuff at joshbellhateseverything.com. I'll probably have my eventual top 10 list there because that's like about all I ever use it for. But sure. that's many months from now. <laughs> um, more stuff, though, at Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And if you're in Vegas, you can see me every Friday on the 11 a.m. news on KTNV Channel 13. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks uh, for doing this again. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back for a regular episode soon. I look forward to it. Are you looking for a pick-me-up, something to brighten your day? If so, the Hallmarkies podcast is the perfect solution. Our top-rated podcast covers all things Hallmark holiday, rom-com, and more. This includes recaps of your favorite shows like When Calls the Heart, Good Witch, and Heartland. Each Monday, we have an interview with folks both in front of and behind the camera. We've been blessed to talk with talent like Danica McKellar, Jen Lilly, Fran Drescher, Holly Robinson-Pete, and Amy Acker. At Christmas time, we cover every movie on Hallmark, Lifetime, Netflix, and more. But we are also festive all year round. So put on some holiday cheer and tune into the Hallmarkies podcast. You can find the Hallmarkies podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube or at hallmarkiespodcast.com. That's hallmarkiespodcast.com. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh Bell about our top 10 favorite movies of 2021 so far. Uh, if you like what we're doing here on Piecing It Together, make sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Also, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Uh, also, don't forget about our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. 
and uh, you know, of course, share the show if you uh, if you like what we're doing. Um, that always helps the most of anything to get us in front of new listeners, and we really appreciate that. So share, share, share. We also have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I combine content from uh, my music career as well as from piecing it together, from Awesome Movie Year, Josh's podcast, and a uh, bunch of other bunch of other fun stuff over there on the Patreon. So check it out. It is patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Lots of great content on there uh, if you want to support what we're doing. So uh, speaking of my music career, I'm going to close this out with a piece of music like I always do. And I am going to play something from an album I will be putting out a little later this year. This is a soundtrack album. Last year I put out the Beater original motion picture soundtrack. And a little later this year I am going to be releasing the soundtrack for a film, a feature film that I scored a few years ago and it's still kind of in the post-production process. I'm not sure when it will be coming out. Obviously, whenever it does, I will be letting everybody know about that, but I have been given the go-ahead to release the soundtrack as its own standalone album. Uh, the film's called The Dissection Table. It's a horror film, and uh, I'm really proud of this score. I just think it's uh, some of my best work and really cool, dark, electronic-type stuff. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for you all to hear it. I will be you know, sharing more news about the release soon, putting a couple of uh, previews on the Patreon, um, but I'm going to play track one from the soundtrack. It's the the title track of the film, just called The Dissection Table. Uh, so I'm going to play that right now to close this episode out, and uh, look forward to more news about that album coming soon, uh, and also more piecing it together coming up real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.